day 73 of 100 days of Colin. We're letting everybody know that tonight's issue is Universal Studios has released a movie called Minions, and they are now letting the Chinese censors change the ending of that movie due to competitive... I don't know, requirements. It's, here's a headline. It's one of, I think, about four that I placed in the box with Unsanctioned Citizen. It's at the top. If you just move the box to the left, and then there's Chinese Censors Change Ending, and then digitalinclusion.org. A couple of links there, because we're going to talk about the reorganization of language, which is an Orwellian construct. It's addressing the complaint around communism in general. So these Chinese censors essentially wanted to change the ending to conform to what the government narrative should be. So I'll just read what Reuters wrote. Uh, Censors have altered the ending of a recent animated film, Minions, The Rise of Gru, for its domestic release in China. Social media users across the country noticed over the weekend The editing is yet another example of Chinese authorities editing a popular Hollywood film to make it more politically correct, leading some viewers to lament the changes. According to posts and screenshots from the movie shared on Weibo, a platform similar to Twitter, censors tacked on an addendum in which Wild Knuckles, a main character in the heist of the film, was caught by police and served 20 years in jail. Gru, a co-conspirator of Wild Knuckles, returned to his family, and his biggest accomplishment is being the father to his three girls, screenshots of the film showed. In the international version, the film ends with Gru and Wild Knuckles, the the story's two thief anti-heroes, riding off together after Wild Knuckles faked his own death to evade capture from authorities. Numerous online commentators mocked the addendum, saying it resembled a PowerPoint presentation. Do Sir... An online movie review publisher with 14.4 million followers on Weibo noted that the Chinese version of the film runs one minute longer than the international version and questioned why the extra minute was needed. So that's the report. Um, so let's look at a few other, few other examples of what just happened. So Fight Club got a new ending in China. And then, of course, there was the the problem with the Communist Party holding a heavy hand over popular culture. Uh, Xi Jinping says China won't be bullied on the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party. Um, I don't even really know what anybody's going to bully them about. I don't really think that's happening. Um, 30 minutes of the 2005 film Lord of War starring Nicolas Cage were similarly replaced on the Tencent streaming platform according to the screenshots shared on social media and Chinese language news sites. Footage in which the Cage, Cage's arms dealer character was found not guilty was replaced by a written epilogue explaining he confessed to his crimes and was in prison for life. Oh my god. How corny. Um, and then there was the whole thing with Keanu Reeves not being able to do the Matrix at all because he decided to say free Tibet. So free Tibet all day long. I hope, you know, we are spitting in the face of the Chinese minders tonight. Don't listen to my show. 
<laughs> uh, we don't like the CCP. We don't like the way you do things. We don't like the fentanyl you send over here. We don't like the way you're funding the narcos and, you know, in Mexico and in Canada. You know, we don't like that. I don't like it. I'll just speak for myself. I don't like it. If I have to read the, uh, the disclaimer once again, uh, I will. But I own my speech on this program, and I, I, I say I dissent. I do not like this, and I don't think Hollywood should be doing much more business with them if can be avoided. So I have found, just as a by-the-by, I have found the trial of Julian Assange, a story of persecution by Nils Melzer. I am going to either order it or get it from the library to read here with you. So um, so I'm working on that. I, ha- I have yet to finish the chapter on a modern monetary theory as granted by one Glenn Beck. Uh, but, you know, it's just going to be a minute before um, Nils Melzer's text gets here. I want to say hello to Joshua and North. Thank you for attending this evening's uh, telecast. Uh, so there is the jump that I'm going to make here to digital inclusion. Now, digital inclusion is one of those things that has been kind of like, mm, it's it's a term, it has some meaning, but it, it has kind of flexible meaning, and it means whatever the communist community kind of puts on it. The soft communist community, the progressive democratic community, the democratic left, and democratic leftists who adopt uh, World Economic Forum agendas, and you know they they are okay with famine and and you know human deprivation in China, but you know and and then they're softly saying, well, I guess it's okay if we starve farmers and you know we we don't give them an extra path out of chemical fertilizers or you know we don't we don't try to help people survive these these hard transitions. We're not going to help people survive. We're just going to kill them with this ESG stuff. You know, we're we're just going to be okay with it and sit back and drink our tea and and be okay with it. And what they have become is, you know, tyrants, <laughs> economic tyrants. And so this the emergence of this term equity. Equity is a financial term, and that's solidly in in. A financial term. When I heard equity, I'm like, okay, well, that's the equity partners at so-and-so, you know, VC law firm, whatever. Okay, but I keep hearing equity, equity, equity. And it has transitional meaning also for the equity, the diversity, equity, inclusion diatribe, which is really autocratic and, and bad as it stands because equality does not belong. Equality must be replaced with equity. And equity is a financial term. It's still it's still a financial term. So the city of Austin has been adopted by the NDIA for their Digital Inclusion Trailblazer Award. And so they're on the list of cities of like Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, you know, Houston, Long Beach, New York City, Oakland, Portland, 
you know, city of Seattle, I think you're getting the idea. These are all cities that have been kind of taken in by the DEI slash equity agenda, which I think is strongly a financial term. I'll just make, I'll draw that's the hill that I'm going to stand up on and talk on it. Um, and I, I think equity at this point should become quite a dirty word for being laundered this way uh, because of what they are doing. They're trying to reorganize equality, which is written into our laws and our documents, uh, and then replace it with this equity agenda. So here's what the agenda is. It says they're trailblazer indicators. You get an award by this, this nonprofit, this NGO, the NDIA, for if your government has or directly funds at least one full-time staff dedicated to digital inclusion initiatives sounds great isn't policies and or programs your local government has a digital inclusion plan or is in the process of developing a plan the representatives of your local government participate in an open access digital inclusion coalition again not necessarily knowing what that is your local government has conducted or plans to conduct a and publish a survey research on internet access and use by your residents, which is not, you know, your local government directly funds community digital inclusion programming. Your local government is taking steps to increase affordability of home broadband service. So they have these, these tick marks and it's like five. So the city of Austin uh, has, has a staff, has a plan, is part of the coalition survey research has funding so the government has to fund it and all these little check marks are the city's digital inclusion trailblazers these are people who have taken you know the public money and used it for this okay so we're going to go over here to about us or see here research hey let me go to research I'm just going to indicate here that there's Orwellian stuff happening, and it says definitions of digital equity and digital inclusion, which seem okay, seems all right, isn't. So the most important thing that they put here under digital equity is that it is important to note here that the use of equity versus equality when we use the word equity, we accurately acknowledge the systemic barriers that must be dismantled before achieving equality for all. Okay. I guess there are some systemic hurdles and barriers. I don't deny that there are problems. I don't deny that people aren't getting broadband or internet. But I don't think you can replace equity with equality and make it, make, make it seem like it's the same thing. So why would you say instead of you know, equality, just use equality. Because equity is something else. It is a financial term. So digital inclusion is these affordable, ro robust, broadband internet service, internet-enabled devices that meet the needs of the user, access to digital literacy training, quality technical support, applications, and online content designed to enable and encourage self-sufficiency, participation, and collaboration. Which, you know, none of those seem like they're going to be bad. But, you know, I think that some of this stuff could be rendered 
like here we go a digital skills framework you know those kinds of things can be coordinated in a way you know the digital inclusion ecosystem existence of programs and policies addressing all aspects of the digital divide and the digital divide is kind of a circumspect term it's fluid meaning the meanings are fluid I, I just don't trust it necessarily I mean I think I've lost a lot of trust I would have been like yeah inclusion equity yeah that, that sounds like a good idea you know but if you weren't on the down edge of that and everything you did was called wrong you know when you were just kind of backing up normative systems you know I just I can't find a way to kind of re re-embrace this digital equity inclusion situation because it has taken so much from me already I'm not saying you know I, I I'm not saying that the it doesn't mean what it means. Like if it actually eliminated racism or it or it actually increased the ability for people to to join or become more engaged in a process in a fair way. You know, like, oh, well they're just going to get broadband now. You know, if it was just as simple as that, it it'd be one thing. And in some cases it might actually be semi-effective. I'll give you that, but if it's I'll just make the analogy, okay? It's it's a glass of wine, but it only has one drop of poison in it. Do you drink it? Do you drink it? No. So it's I'm not ready to say it's in it's in the place of say we're reorganizing the endings of a minions movie on behalf of a nation state, but it's definitely something designed by communitarians. The DEI that we know and use today was designed to appease censors, to appease the people who control the meanings of these words. And they can fall on the downside of safety or, you know, racism or, or even violence. Speech is violence. And uh, so if, for instance, if Alex Jones says something asinine and insults a Sandy Hook survivor, the media chooses to make their competition an example, prosecute him in the press, find a local prosecutor who will agree with them, and then take him to civil court, demand a $45 million dock and all his possessions so that it goes to the offended person the insulted person I mean I can never command 45 million of anybody's money for being insulted and nor would I I'm trying to make it a goal of a personal goal at, at this stage just so I can have a civil society to be less insultable you know you can insult me on on many things I have other things that are kind of like triggers and whatever but I would say physical violence and shouting or you know direct visceral menacing like stalking 
or or getting in my face and screaming at me. Um, those are those are a couple of things I think that it, it's important to draw lines and say, you know, that's a line you shouldn't cross because now we're getting into the self-defense territory. Um, but saying I don't believe in your religion, I don't believe in your corporate religion, I don't believe in equity because it, it does not mean equality. Equality means equality. You can't change the meaning of equality to mean equity. If you mean equality, just say equality. So I'm edging up here on the last 10 minutes of the show. Does anybody want to call in and talk about any of this? So the media didn't hire the prosecutor. I think I didn't say that they hired them. They found them and urged them. They're like, okay. And the media is, you know, a relative term. I would say a coalition. Well, I mean, the media did their work. You know, they 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 were. Yeah, they did. They did some of the work. They they ran the PR. They trotted out the PR to make this case in the press. I mean, you're welcome to come talk to me about that. Yeah. So it's not something I'm going to stand on a hill and die about, but I think that that's what I. Th- think is happening is that there was PR that was driven by people who wanted to see, including NPR, which is the government PR, they wanted him to lose his enterprise, they wanted him to not have money to do any more reporting, they treated him like an enemy combatant, they wanted him to lose his job, okay? They wanted him to not have a program anymore. And NPR doesn't have the same audience, I think, as Alex Jones. Alex Jones has an entirely different audience, and they don't actually care about that audience. Sometimes people who listen to NPR will listen to Alex Jones. I won't say that they're totally mutually exclusive. But when NPR is, you know, uttering, you know, editorial like this person is, is, should be in court, whatever they do is wrong, and carrying water to, to criminalize them in the press, which is, I heard in a report that sounded exactly like that in the fall of 2021, I think. You know, and I wrote several people about it. I'm like, I don't think that this is the role of the NPR. I don't think that they should be doing this with our tax money. You know, because they're they're not really the same people. But they they have coalitions and and political interests that are that are keenly aligned to do what they want. Now, there are definitely enemies of Alex Jones in the press, okay? In the corporate press, but definitely among the NPR set. So, and that would be neoliberal um, common MSNBC CNN you know cable news shills 
for the progressive left and people at NPR, you know, people in the government, press workers, those folks, you know, they are the ones that really wanted to see him go down. Plus, you know, he did, he hasn't made any friends with like the three letter press or the people who work with like war type um, PR. They haven't, he hasn't made any friends there. So, when I say war PR, I mean it's like propaganda PR, people in the three-letter societies. <laughs> okay, Josh. What say you? All right, is this working? Yeah, it's on now, yes. Okay, I, I say I... I don't want any of the people or the stations you mentioned to have audiences. Uh, so I don't want to rehabilitate them. Uh, and uh, I would prefer that you garner a larger audience than you currently have tonight. Uh, then okay. talk about um, Call your friends, invite the people. Well, yeah, but I, they, nobody wants to listen about, well, my friends don't Maybe want to listen do. about Alex Jones. No, they they'd be they'd be bigger assholes than I am. Uh, it's a it's uh, a devil's advocacy thing. It, it's a it's a civil libertarian devil's advocacy job to say here is an asshole. Let's protect his voice. The government doesn't have the right to go run after him and take his stuff because he said a thing that they didn't like. Yeah, he's just a really really dumb white guy and there's so many uh that it's hard to focus on just one and no it's not the government's job to focus on the media mennonites uh that are leading us to prosperity um as opposed to uh the people that are in positions of power and influence are, are you talking about like the friends society like the, the no i'm being sarcastic or... i i just i i, I yeah, the fact yeah. that we prop these people up as if they are pantheons of intellect and commerce or conversation about what commerce could or should be is pathetic. Um, but we still seem to be doing it because infotainment sells and uh, creates clicks and likes. And uh, that's what essentially keeps, I guess, people dead inside and apathetic and not willing to actually do something in their communities. But huh. I know you are taking on whole foods um, and, and, and not like that. Uh, so I just, I'm, I'm begging you to, to not talk about this guy or, or Glenn Beck or Glenn uh, Beck. anymore. <laughs> I see that's how much I care. Um, I mean, that's the source of the reading. I mean, I just wanted I'm to sorry. offer that. You know, that's the source of the reading. Uh, no, and and his his take on MMT was is potentially uh, I think I I threw up in my mouth many times, but okay, that is I not mean, the first you time that I threw up in my mouth thinking about that person. Well, I mean, I he, don't he has a conservative skew. He has a conservative. Yes, he does. Yes, I would rather listen to a phone operator from the 30s of for of, 
infinite number of hours than him talk as if he is an intellectual on anything. Uh, but I, he has he done did, some research. I mean, he's, he did more research than, say, I did on MMT. I didn't know anything about MMT before I read that. And, and uh, okay, now I, I'm I would, definitely I, I, I more curious. Talk- I would encourage you. Uh, uh, there's a there's a program called Pitchfork Economics. Uh, it's out of Seattle. Uh, you might be familiar with it. Uh, it's run by Chip Hanauer, Civic Ventures. Uh, they do have a trickle down guy there, Goldie, who is a crusty kind of keysy Keynesian guy. But they do talk about MMT, and it's all about like which kleptocrats are in charge and whether or not they decide to uh, give their friends and family the money wow. from the spreadsheet. that's interesting. So that's you know, that's, that's definitely a perspective for this program. You know, any, anybody who will out the kleptocrats is, is, is worth listening to for at least 10 minutes. Um, well, I don't think I've been going on that long, but I'm going. No, to No, no, I'm just out. saying. I'm saying that you know, if if you have a friend over there and you would like for them to, uh, you know, participate in the program, I'd be willing to like let them have at least like ten minutes of speech to, to tell us what they know and uh, about MMT as as a rival voice. I mean, it is a little bit of a debate. We can't just have only Glenn Beck's voice on the MMT issue. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just I, every time I hear that, my aneurysm kicks in. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I mean, Glenn Beck's not like that. I mean, I don't have a strong feeling about Glenn Beck. I mean, he's he said some things that I think are outrageous, but you know, I think that there are equally outrageous concepts that I don't get necessarily alarmed by. You know, different sensitivities are are washing all over all the time. So I just wanted to say hello to Miranda. Thanks for stopping in, Miranda. What we've been talking about is the actually the manipulation of words, uh, because there is another another one bites the dust. It looks like the Minions movie has an alternate ending in China to conform to the censorship minders over there who want to control speech and you know tell tell the the people of China like this is this is how you shall see and view this narrative and i feel like that's kind of what npr was trying to do they're like he is an enemy of the state he is an enemy of of people who have been shot and i'm like he's not an enemy he's an asshole alex jones is maybe you know on that day at that time he said an asshole thing on the air in the 90s it wasn't that rare uh but you know but it's not worth 45 it's not worth worth taking all his stuff Right? You know, you don't have to agree I, with me. I don't think it was worth taking his stuff. I, I but I also like you understand like when drug dealers get uh, like that's thug life. Like he tried to be a thug and it didn't work out. Like he's not a good thug. Like he would never he never could exist on the streets. He if he he's probably never been in a real fist fight. Like what these the are hell not is this the, about? He's in a fist fight with NPR. No, that's not. That's a slap fight, by the way, and it's also just of words. And his lawyer outed him. His lawyer's essentially like, "I know he's never going to pay me. Here's the rest of the shit on this douchebag." I mean, I'm sorry because See, and I, that's bad lawyering. He got suckered, you know. But he's only going to have to from. If you don't got, pay your lawyer, suckered. they screw you. If you, that's yes, how it goes. Do. Like, Ask Amber Heard. Uh, anyway, I've got to I've got to drop off because I'm going to say stupider shit. 
Well, I mean, that wasn't that stupid. I totally thought that was uh, that was right on the money. Um, it turns out that that he took a pro bono lawyer, um, and he got what he paid for. That's what happens in Texas. They they rope you in and they say, "Oh, I'll represent you," and you know, this is for free. And they don't send you a bill or anything. They don't send you a bill or anything. Um, and then when you don't pay. And you thank them for the pro bono work, they send you a bill. And you're like, what? <laughs> we don't have a commercial agreement. This happened to me. So, uh, way back in like 2009, um, there was a guy who represented me because I called, very curiously, I called um, a, a site where an arson had taken place. And if you know anything about the arson history in, in Austin, it, it's pretty... It's pretty awful, okay? There's a lot of arsons that ta- have taken place over the years. In fact, the first station that I had a show on in Austin burned down twice. Twice! K-O-O-P. After the second, I mean, they were recovering for the first one when I came on, and then the station was burned down again by another volunteer. So this place has a very storied history with so so anyways i just called over there because there was a masonic edge on i'm like oh my god that's spooky i want to find out what 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 was going on and because i made a phone call the fbi made an appointment with me because i called over there the day of the the fire playing amateur reporter like do 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 and uh because I had a blog, and this was 2008, and it was like, okay, anybody can be a reporter, anybody, anybody can be a reporter now, I don't need credentials to do reporting. <laughs> so I went for it! And, um, and, oh man, I got kind of pulled in by the FBI, and that was not fun. So I had this guy, he was my lawyer, sent me a bill after I thanked him for his pro bono service and then that was the end of it John said no he said it was free so I'm not going to pay it and I'm like honey I'm out of money so we're like we're not going to pay it next thing you know like months and months pass by I'm in session with everything I'm I am doing the damnedest job that I can to try to fight real ID in the session and here comes this guy he's actually advocating for real ID in the session he comes into Lois Colcourse's office and he is red around the eyes and he is pissed. And he's looking at me like, I need to go die. It was my lawyer. <laughs> it was my lawyer. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, if he'd have just followed up with me with a little phone call or sent me a letter and said, listen, I, you know, maybe there was some sort of. But that wasn't the intent. The intent was to, to get a some kind of debt, some kind of beef going legally, so we had an excuse. You know, to, to say, I'm injured by this by this stupid little activist, I'm going to come for them. So, I'll take I'll take a, a, a quip, and then we gotta go. Alright, it's going to be a quick story, you're going to like it, because it's about Chaz, and it's a true story, but it's my Chaz son's Chaz? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, Go ahead. Yeah, hey, watch it. Anyway, uh, so... Where are son, you, by the way? Like, where in the world are you, Joshua? Like, I don't know where you, you generally call home. 
Like, where are you? Carmen San Diego. Uh, no, uh, I am in. Uh, I'm in Oregon, Eastern Oregon, in okay, rural Eastern ahead. Oregon. So anyway, my son. I used to live in Seattle, so my son was still there. He went to Chaz Chop one day because he was. Uh, he was participating. He went to chop. He he went there. He, anyway, he but he was he was not trying to do the Coachella activism. Like he was like trying to help do mutual aid. See with it was a thing. Well, one day there was a person in the midst of a probably like maybe substance induced or a psychotic break or something, um, and there was I think he said three ladies uh, trying to essentially sign him up for something. At that same time, and he was like having none of it. The guy was like, I just don't want to be around people. Quit being near me. And my son, who is, uh, was was not supposed to be speaking up because he wasn't, you know, the right hue. Um, anyway, he went up and said, hey, why don't you just leave him alone? And the three ladies turned on him and chased him out of there. And he just was like, I think that's the last time he went to chop. He was just like, they're trying to, they don't. It, it wasn't, it's like what you were saying, where they're essentially like, hey, even if you don't want the help right now, I'm going to force this help down your throat because I make money from helping you if I sign you up and I get you on this thing. And, it, and that was one of the things that turned him from that type of activism and seeing how the uh, neoliberal approach right, to it. Right, just, because the money oh, comes from somewhere. The money comes from somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. So it's, I'm it's sorry. A racket. That was, yeah, that's called capitalism. We're in the late stages of it. Uh, Warren Buffett said, "Take the last puffs off the cigar." That's why he buys whole companies that are. Well, failing, I'm not sure. Like I'm trains. not sure what's capitalism or not capitalism, but we're we're not pro communism here. And everything I have that I'm speaking to you on is because of com- capitalism, not communism. Communism is when the government owns all your shit and takes your stuff. And then tells you who to work for and that sort of thing. So, you know, you can make, you know, finer tooth arguments at a later time because we'll be here and uh, and we'll be here tomorrow. But um, if, you call your chat, if you want to call your your fun friends over there in Seattle and have them, have them talk to me about uh, MMT, the door is open. I shall talk to them. Thank you for tuning in, Joshua. Okay, we got to go. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. And uh, fun, fun, fun. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast Archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit.